everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. Uh, this week on our panel, we have Steve Edwards. Hello from Portland. Devlin Gulgalau. Hello from Oslo. I always worry I'm saying your name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. Yeah. We also have Lindsay Wardell. Hello, also from Portland. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm not sure exactly when this episode is going to go out, but by the time it's out, uh, you can get the Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job in paperback. So if you want hard copy of the book, you can go pick it up. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. And this week, we're going to be talking about our development setups. And I think we'll probably wind up talking about everything from, you know, sort of desks, chairs, standing desks, all the way down to what plugins we use on our IDEs and text editors. In fact, let's go ahead and start there. I'm curious, what all do you use to write code as far as an IDE or text editor goes? I am 100% in VS Code at this point. At work, I need to use IntelliJ for Java. But as much as possible, I just prefer to be in VS Code for Vue or anything else. Primarily, it handles all the different languages that I need to write. Right. IntelliJ has a like web development JavaScript component to it, doesn't it? There is. I don't know exactly which features, but some features are locked behind their professional edition, though. I gotcha. So I just haven't delved into using it for things like Vue. That makes sense. What are you writing in, Devlin? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm using WebStorm. Because uh-huh. uh, yeah, I'm mostly in on front-end development. So, you know what? Whenever I uh, do like a uh, live coding, I use uh, VS Code uh, Lite Team. Uh, it's easier. And then it's mostly uh, what, you know, your audience would be also using. So, yeah, it's, it's different when, you're, uh, when I'm writing real-world apps or when I'm working. Yeah, basically VS Code without a bunch of plugins to make it like, you know, at least uh, usable. Yeah, basically that's it. But most of the time, also uh, have this uh, secondary uh, screen, you know, for the browser and the screen that you know, on my laptop. It's like just for the IDE. So I need to have that. And whenever I'm traveling, I'm carrying this this portable uh, LCD as well. So whenever you know, uh, like in a restaurant or in an airport. Or whenever I am, sometimes I could be in the park and yeah, setting up this uh, LCD external and laptop and the IDE, yeah, for instance. Yeah, basically that's it. Nice. How about you, Steve? So I've been writing, you know, coming from the Drupal world, I've been writing in PHP Storm for a number of years. I mean, had some pretty tight integration with Drupal and PHP Storm is basically WebStorm with PHP support on top of it. So just from a level of familiarity, I'm used to using that. I'm more comfortable. You know, over the years, I've listened as VS Code has come out and I'll hear different people talk about it. And like anytime I see tutorials, usually whether it's, you know, Maximilian Schwarzmiller or any number of other people on YouTube, it seems like they're always using VS Code as as their editors for Vue or JavaScript or Svelte or whatever the case may be. I sort of switch back and forth between the two for my day job. I've been sticking with PHP Storm. But I think part of my preference is that there are a few things from a UI standpoint that I use a lot that PHP Storm handles better than VS Code. Although, you know, maybe there's there's possibility that there's a plugin that I'm missing for VS Code. But like if I go to do a find either for a file or for text within a file, there's a nice little button that says open and find window and it will give me a list of everything I found in a window down below instead of having to cycle through them like I have to in VS Code. Some other tool windows and organizations that I like better. But other than that, 
you know, they seem fairly comparable. And like I said, for some projects, I'll use VS Code or others. I'll stick with, uh, or for my daily work, I've been sticking with PHP Storm. Yeah, I've been using uh, VS Code myself. So for a long time, I was an Emacs user. And I have the Emacs key bindings on Visual Studio Code. So, and, and they're really great. I, I really like that particular plugin. It works really well with my workflow. And yeah, then I do most of it on VS Code. Are there particular plugins that you all are using with VS Code to do view stuff? The Vitor, how do you pronounce that? Vitor or Vitor? So yeah, that's uh, whenever you're writing uh, uh, Vue.js, uh, you should have that plugin. What about you guys? Yeah, that one's pretty much default. Just to use, uh, I call it Vitor. I don't, I have no idea the correct way to say it, but yeah. Yeah, I say Vitor too. I'm uh, looking to see what I've got here. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking through my plugins right now too. I'm a big fan of Prettier. I try to configure Prettier in all my applications, and then I have the Prettier plugin installed as well, so we can do auto formatting on each save based on my Prettier, Prettier config. Yeah, isn't I know that I've seen different posts or videos on how to configure Vitor with ESLint and Prettier, and I don't think I've ever quite got the perfect installation of. Mm, of those three, because I think one can overwrite the other, and and it can, so it's yeah. so yeah. Getting those three to play together nice and neatly is has always been sort of a challenge. I wonder why it's called Vitor. That's just I'm sure the V has to do with you. Yeah, <laughs> but other than that, yeah, I don't know. Just the name that the author chose, I suppose. Yeah, I, I have, have that like, one installed. I don't have any others installed here that I can find for Vue. Yeah, there's a number of like syntax highlighting uh, ones or VS Code snippets and view peaks one I used, you know, so you can, if you're using a core view method or something, you can see what the definition of. Yeah, I just saw that there's like an NPM and NPM IntelliSense plugin. Yep. So I'm, I'm getting these. I'm like, oh, th- that looks nice. <laughs> I also tend to use uh, Firefox for my default browser. I've been tempted to use Brave, but I find that Brave doesn't have all of the features that I want. And I used to use Chrome, but I don't trust Google to not spy on me. So, you know what? I have seen some some uh, tweets like they're shifting to Firefox when development, you know, when developing a web application. I don't know, like, so what's the difference between Chrome and and, and Firefox in you know developers' point of view? So I'm just you know curious. I know that Firefox, with some of their latest releases, has been doing a more blocking of tracking. Yep. Stuff like cookies and, and tracking pixels and stuff like that. And so I've been looking to go back to Firefox. I went away from Firefox a few years ago after the whole Brendan Ike thing, just based on that. But from what I'm seeing in terms of their browser tools and development tools and tracking prevention, I've been looking at it again. I just haven't quite dived back in and gotten all my tools all set up the way I have them in Chrome. Yeah. Hey, Chuck, do you use the developer edition or the regular edition of Firefox? Uh, the regular edition. Okay. Uh, I'm using the, the, the developer edition, this, this blue one. Yeah, um, the blue one. Yeah, I think this one has the like helper for like, seeing or creating grid or flex. I don't know with the, the normal Firefox, but that's, you know, whenever you install the Firefox developer edition, that's the tab that, you know, you will see after installing it, like uh, CSS grid, a quick tutorial, and then how to use the uh, its developer tooling and figure out, you know, how you could write uh, CSS grid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things I like about the developer edition is better access to the cookies. And unfortunately, it came up at my job, I needed to copy a cookie out and stick it into something like Postman. And in regular Firefox, I wasn't able to do it. But in the developer edition, it was much easier to get to. I can remember, remember a number of years ago when Firebug was really <laughs> the first extension that came oh, out yeah. that, that allowed you to, yep. to look and see your CSS and your JavaScript and you know look at your mm-hmm. source and see what's running and that kind of stuff. And that was really sort of the big push to get uh, developer tools. And then you know eventually you started seeing them all built into all the browsers, whether it was uh, Edge or Internet Explorer, I mean, Explorer or the Chrome tools and and now Firefox. But Firebug was the first big thing in developer tools like that within a browser. Yep. I remember installing that and running it 
now it's like, boy, without those developer tools and the debugging in, in the browser, I'd be, <laughs> well, I'd be looking for other things to debug. But yeah, that's sort of my default for, for debugging so far. Yeah. Well, and uh, VS Code also has plugins for Firefox debugging. So you can debug right. in Firefox. Oh, it does? Yeah, yes. it has both for both Chrome and Firefox. Yeah, it has a plugin for it. I'm getting that right now. <laughs> okay, so this is just a helper whenever you want to uh, set a debugger or, you know what, I, I'm, when I, whenever I, I debug something, I just, you know, uh, set up debugger there or console. Uh, but if this thing here, the debugger for Firefox uh, extension, you know, help me, I'll probably install this. What you have to do is you, uh, you have the extension installed and then you have to create a profile within VS Code that says, okay, this is the browser I'm using and you can set it up to whether you start a new session for debugging or whether you join on an existing session. There's documentation out there on that, but uh, that's what that extension allows you to do. Interesting. Now Chuck and I have mentioned a couple of times, I need to walk through and get all the debugging stuff set up, get all the details, and then I can we can talk about it on a podcast sometime. That'd be great. Yep, definitely. And I'm assuming that everybody is using the Vue CLI. Yeah, I use it for to get initially scaffold a project and get it up and running. Uh, I haven't done too much with it. I know there's a project I'm working on with somebody else where I want to create my own, you know, VCLI plugins to be able to enhance a project once it's already up and going. But that's been the extent of my interaction with the CLI. There's some nice uh, um, options you can run when you're scaffolding a project. So you can choose whether you use NPM or Yarn. You can choose if you want to integrate with Bootstrap or Beautify or any number of you know, frameworks, whether you want to have your testing tools like Jest or Cypress or some of the other options out there built in to your project. Uh, so from a scaffolding standpoint, yeah, there's a lot of different uh, neat options that you can do right off the gate to make it easier instead of you having to set them up individually once your project is created. Nice. I think recently I've been using things more like Nux.js or Gridsum instead of using the Vue CLI. I'm in the middle of rewriting my personal website into Gridsum, switching from Gatsby, and it has its own generator and its own format to get into development. Yeah, Next has its own uh, CLI tool, brain farting on what it is right now that you know spins up Next and does the same thing where you can pick what tools you want to use within your yeah your Next site and it's Create Next app. There you go, Create Next app. Yeah, and it also gives you flexibility on your server side framework, so you can choose the Nuxt server or Express or whichever one you want. So what are you using? So you said you've been playing with uh, Gridsum? Yeah. What, what are you using as your data source in Gridsum? Uh, I'm primarily using Markdown files. My website had originally been in WordPress and I got tired of having to maintain and update that. So at the time I was wanting to start fiddling with React and see if it was worth delving more into. So I rebuilt my website using Gatsby and I converted all of my blog posts into Markdown. Oh, okay. So you already have the source files all ready to go then. Yeah. So when I booted up the Gridsum instance that I'm working on, I just had to bring over my Markdown files as is, to stick them in, install their plugin to uh, to parse them, and I was up and running. Nice. Yeah, very cool. DevChat.tv is written in a similar system. It's written in uh, 11DJS. So it's not view-focused per se, but... Yeah, each episode gets its own markdown file and gets rendered into HTML through a build process. So that works really well for us. And having the static HTML load instead of trying to do something on WordPress or something, it makes the page a lot faster and more responsive. So that's right. been really great for us. That's a pre-rendered, you know, your Jamstack type site, right? Yeah, it where it yeah. just builds and then you deploy your HTML and you're off and running. Yep. Just to loop back real quick on the plugins in VS Code, I also have a word count plugin for markdown files. So as I'm writing mm -hmm. up my, my blog posts, I just see at the bottom of my file how many words I've got just straight inside of VS Code. Nice. The other one here is Code Spell Checker that I always recommend to anyone, especially for a beginner. And uh, most of the time I would tell them the number one cause of bugs is wrong spelled keyword words. So... Yeah, I would you know definitely uh, suggest that. I also I usually suggest that actually the code spoke checker, and it has in in uh, like in different languages. So the the main is like the the default here is like English, but if you wanna like 
try German or Norwegian or other languages. It also has enough. I need to practice my Norwegian. <laughs> you had like basic Norwegian before? No, I was just, I was being, being sarcastic. Funny. So, yeah. So the spell checker, does that like check against some of your variable names maybe that you've created elsewhere or is it just text in comments or, or standard keywords and, and stuff like yeah. that? Comments and uh, yeah, uh, functions. And, yeah. So everything really helpful actually. Does WebStorm have plugins? Yeah, you can get plugins for, for various things. Anything that you recommend there? I don't have a lot out of the gate. I have to to look some up, but no, I haven't had to add a lot in there. Like not as many as you normally would with uh, VS Code, just because I think some a lot, a lot of that functionality is built into the UI itself. Yeah, basically that's what you're paying for. The whole, you know, it's like batteries included, something like that. Yeah, but not all. Yeah, but not all. So you still have to install some plugins, but very few, unlike in, in VS Code, you need a lot. Time. Nice. Another tool that I've kind of been playing with a bit that we may have to do an episode on, and I think, Devlin, I think you're the one that recommended this one to me, was uh, Quasar. Yeah, Quasar. So what's your take? I mean, <laughs> what have you seen? Well, so far, I've, I've just played with it for a few minutes, but I'm doing the 100 Days of View challenge. This is a challenge that I made up. It was an episode we released a couple weeks ago. So... I wanted to do an Electron app and it just has a really convenient, you just pull the Electron plugin in and spin up an Electron app and that seems to have worked pretty nicely. So I'm kind of playing with that as I build this app. But it, it's nice and it, it kind of gives you a lot of the design elements. Yeah, right off the bat. So Chad, going back real quick, one of the plugins I've got in PHP Storm is IntelliView. So basically IntelliSense for view single file components. Yeah, it makes sense. So one thing, this isn't specific to Vue, but is generic across probably most any software development project is source code. I'm guessing for most people it's Git. For years, I was, uh, I was one of those people that was just straight command line Git, whether it was looking at, I, I had some aliases set up, you know, shortcuts for stuff you typed in commonly, but whether I was doing commits or looking at status or doing cherry picks or merges, everything I did, I did pretty much in, in command line Git. And then the company that I'm at now at Imageware, we had a professional uh, group license for Git Kraken. Kraken is in the mythical animal release to Kraken, as Liam Neeson said. But anyway, it's, it's, I've sort of gotten used to it. And it's really, really, really nice for looking at diffs and doing straight commits and pushes and creating tags and merges and stuff like that. You know, for me, I feel a little more comfortable using that because I know what's going on behind the scenes with the command line, um, and I know how it works. And as compared to someone who just comes into Git and would start using a UI right off the bat without knowing how things were working behind the scenes and what the commands are actually doing, it's been a nice little tool for someone who's a, a visual person like me. It saves me a lot of typing too. Nice. So, what what kind of machine are you all running on? Uh, mine is um, using MacBook Pro because uh, sometimes I would, you know, write iOS apps, and yeah, this, that's the only reason why <laughs> I bought MacBook because you know otherwise yeah. I'll be using you know Windows. Yeah, what about you guys? I switched to Mac on my own back in 2009. <laughs> my son still has my late 2009 MacBook Pro, 15 inch, still cranking along. Works like a charm. I've had to couple hard drives die on it and I've had to replace those. And this was, these were the models when you could actually update things. I remember those. You know, everything wasn't glued <laughs> together, you know, it was, uh, so I've updated like the memory, I think, and I've had to change the battery a couple times. There was a case back then with the batteries getting larger as they got hotter and that would cause kinds of physical problems. And so, yeah, that one still was like a tank that still keeps going. My work got me one when I started, so I've got one from last year, brand new one from, from or from this year still, sorry, 2018, that I really like. Has the um, keyboard. I never, ever use the laptop's actual keyboard, believe it or not, unless I'm like out somewhere where I have to use it portably. But when I'm at my desk, I just use a standard, I just hook up a, a standard Mac keyboard. I like the Bluetooth ones that, you know, you can move around, but I'm so used to those 
keys and you know just gives me a lot more flexibility and it's easier to type and i also i need as much monitor space as i can get so i always have multiple monitors and a keyboard plugged into my my laptop when i'm at a desk so i've been paying attention to the the new 2016 macbook pro that's come out i've heard it mentioned like i think john papa on real tag javascript they did a whole episode just on the new 2016 macbook pro and I heard us uh, other people doing that too. So, but I'm not into the keyboard enough the on a regular basis that I noticed the that I noticed the difference. Okay. Not 2016. I don't mean 2016. Let me rephrase that. The 16 inch. The, the 16 oh, inch. Yeah. 16, yeah. Not 2016. 16 inch. They both have 16 in them, so they're the same. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. I, I know. That's, that's my setup. Yeah. Shouldn't shouldn't you guys wait before you buy uh, this brand new MacBook Pro? Because there were like broken things before uh, when they launched before they like for example the batteries or yeah the one thing i've been hearing is that i've heard in multiple places not the one thing but one thing is that you know apple advertises it as like having an 11 hour battery life but Mm -hmm. the reality that people are seeing whether it's adam wevin or or john or and ward and dan or other people is more like three or four maybe (laughs) if you're really working on it so but that's again. I haven't dealt with it myself. That's yeah, just what I've been. Hearing. Is, yeah, you'll never know what's wrong with that um, brand new Mac because it could be another problem that you know might come out. So I wasn't like really eager. Not really eager buying it right away. I have to you know wait for for a year to see what because there's something wrong with. The oh, absolutely. Yeah, same with anything. You know, you don't yeah, want, want unless, unless you like being on the bleeding edge. You know, you usually wait and see what yeah, bugs are worked exactly. out. Mm-hmm. But the one rave I've heard about is like Lindsay brought up is the keyboard because they had changed the keyboard between scissors and I forget what the other type is with the butterfly. Butterfly, butterfly right? And now they went. They've heard enough complaints apparently that it went back to what it was before. Yeah, they did in the newest version of the MacBook Pro. They're apparently coming out with yeah the old key switches. I have the 2017 MacBook Pro, the 15 inch, and. If I could change one thing about it, well, two things, but the one thing that really drives me crazy is the USB-C. Yes. I have so many dongles, I don't even know. It's such a pain. I have a docking station on my desk, but then when I upgraded to Catalina, it quit working, so. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, the Catalina rollout was rather sloppy from everything I've been hearing. I, I updated on my MacBook. I still haven't updated on my own personal iMac. But yeah, there was a number of, of results from that. Some really weird things, getting a million alert confirmation messages, you know, about enabling alerts. And I noticed yep. they pushed out a couple patched update versions fairly quickly. On my own iMac, I use QuickBooks. And they've been saying, okay, you've got to upgrade to the latest QuickBooks if you want to use Catalina because it ain't going to work with 2016 anymore. Maybe I should update anyway. But one of the things that's kept me back from updating on my iMac yeah, I mean, I'm generally happy with it. I, I'm telling you right now, though, the next laptop I get is going to be a PC. Really? Yes. I actually have a machine sitting under my desk that I built, so I bought all the parts and just, you know, screwed it together, basically. It's a Windows machine, and honestly, development on Windows isn't bad. Where do things stand with the Linux kernel that they've integrated? I remember when that first came out and then I've heard, yeah, it works, but sort of doesn't. There's problems here and there. So where's the stability on on that? Or do you just develop on the Windows, in the Windows portion of it? Uh, no, so they have... Windows basic, subsystem for Linux. Yeah. Yes. Lin- yeah. That's, what I, that's, yeah that's what I'm referring to. How is that working? It works pretty well. I really haven't had any problems with it at all. So you've been um, using it for a while? Yeah. That's usually where I'm running a lot of the development processes and things like that. So have you it, been on WSL2 or the original? Um, I don't know. <laughs> okay. The latest version of Windows that came out actually included the Linux kernel. So instead of having the uh, compatibility layer that they were using, it's the actual Linux kernel that you are running inside of Windows. Yeah, I've been using it for a while. So I'm pretty sure I was on the original. And yes, I was aware that there were certain bugs. And I think I bumped up into them a couple times. But it was never anything that was so horrible to work around that I couldn't just deal with it and take it in stride and not get out of flow. But yeah, it's it's a lot nicer now and it just it just works. So so I use that a fair bit. But mostly I just when I'm in here, I just have my MacBook 
Pro plugged in, just run everything off of it. The main reason is is because this year I've traveled a whole bunch and it was easier just to have everything on my laptop and then just work from there than it was to try and move on to the desktop machine when I was at home. So, Yeah, exactly. I've been a base laptop user for a while just so when I go, everything goes with me and I'm not having to try to sync two different computers and keep them updated. This next year is going to be a lot less travel. And so because of that, I'm probably going to be... I'll be dealing with, you know, I would dare say the opportunity to use my desktop a little bit more. But the nice thing about the desktop too is I think it costs about the same for all the parts. No, it costs less for all the parts than my MacBook Pro did. And it's much more powerful, has a lot more hard drive space, which is the other thing that I run into on my MacBook Pro is that I'm always running out of hard drive space have to clear stuff off. Yeah, before I went to my iMac a number of years ago, I used to build all my own computers too. And I could, you know, I'd get the motherboard and the hard drives and the RAM and and the case and all those and piece them together. You usually build a pretty decent computer for a, for a good price. Yeah, I'm probably just going to move over. And if Windows isn't going to work for me, I'll just run Linux. I, I am not afraid of Linux at all. So Yay! I run Linux. So what's your development experience like then on Linux and what kinds of things are, do you feel like you're trading off? At this point, I don't feel like I'm trading anything. So my computer is a Huawei MateBook X Pro. It's a 14-inch screen, 3 by 2 and I'm enjoying it great. I've installed Pop! OS so I could get NVIDIA driver support fairly easily. And the first thing I did was put on Node, NPM, VS Code. I don't feel like I'm giving up anything by being on Linux. I find things like NPM or Yarn to be just immensely faster than the same experience I had on Windows. I've been very happy with the Switch. So I've never your even friend? heard of Pop! OS. It's a variant of Ubuntu. To make it short, there's a company that makes Linux laptops, System76. They were making specifically Ubuntu laptops for a while. A couple of years ago, I guess a few years ago now, they uh, started making their own version of Ubuntu that they named Pop! OS primarily to target at their laptops, but its goal was to make it easier to enter the Linux environment, even easier than Ubuntu. So does that include your front end too, your uh, UX? Oh, the desktop environment? Yes. By default, it comes with GNOME. It's the same that Ubuntu is coming with, but they don't add as many things to make it look like Ubuntu. They just put in a few plugins that they like. They've got a custom icon theme on top of it, so everything feels very integrated and not disjointed like some Linux environments can be. Yeah, it makes sense. It, the the one thing that I worry a little bit about is just some of the stuff that I have to run. A lot of the stuff that I run just runs on the web now. But, yeah. you know, if I have to run Photoshop or something like that, I'm, you know. Yeah, to the best of my knowledge, Photoshop is not one that can run on Linux, yeah. even under things like Wine. I'm in the same boat. So I, I dual boot for when I need to use something like Photoshop. Otherwise, I just stay completely in Linux. Yeah, makes sense. So stepping back for a minute, what do you guys use for your source control? For I'm assuming it's Git. Do you use a command line? Do you guys have UIs that you use or do you use? I know, for instance, VS Code has source control management within there that you can use, and so does PHP Storm. Yeah, I just use the built-in stuff in VS Code unless I get into some weird... Like I've gotten into a couple of weird merges, and so then I just... I just use the command line because I know the command line probably better than any other option. Mm-hmm. And I'm too lazy to figure out the UI version. <laughs> <laughs> My case, whenever I'm working on a confluence of, yeah, project with uh, Bitbucket, so I would use source tree. Or whenever I'm working on a project, you know, with the, uh, like this uh, integrated with their GitHub, so I would use the, the GitHub desktop. I'm more on the GUI side. <laughs> And just click, it works, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Didn't they recently come out with the Mac? They recently came out with some new UI, GitHub did. At least I thought so. Maybe I'm imagining things. GitHub desktop? Yeah. thought that was yeah. fairly new. Maybe not. I haven't used it on my Mac, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm using. Oh, okay. For desktop, yeah. It's an electron-based version. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Lindsay? I tend to use whatever's in the IDE. So in VS Code, I tend to use the ID Git integration that's there. Most of my code lives on GitHub. So it just works nicely for me. Mm-hmm. 
at work where I'm using IntelliJ, I tend to also use that one, except when I need to push up a new branch. Occasionally, I have to switch to the terminal. Kind of like Chuck, I just don't feel like learning the uh, GUI for doing that kind of thing. If, yeah, I'm, I still, if, I create, if I create a new branch. Yeah, I do all my pushes and tags and all that kind of stuff on the command line too, just because I feel more yeah. comfortable with it. I also like some of the Git plugins for VS Code, like Git Lens. Yes. Yep, um, got that one. And then I also have a Git history and a Git blame. One of the things I really like about PHP Storm that I've just sort of gone accustomed to is viewing Git information within it. Whether you're looking at the history of a particular file or the history of a branch or viewing diffs or even doing like a Git blame. Like for instance, you know, if you just right click somewhere within a file and go to annotate, boom, it just pops up your blame lines on the left until it's real easy to see who, you know, who changed what and when and that kind of stuff. So just from a UI standpoint, that's part of the stuff I really like about. Yeah, me too. I really love that. Sense, the PHP Storm stuff. VS Code has it. I played it a little bit, little bit. It might be that I'm just not used to it. But from a UI standpoint, the, the PHP Storm handling of that is, is much neater and quicker and easier to use. Yep. So, Lindsay, I know you're at a large organization where I used to work. What's your environment for deploying and running in your view apps? Are you using like Docker or CICD stuff? Or what's, what are you using for hosting? So at this point, the code is being hosted on GitHub. We are using Jenkins for the CICD. And in particular for the view application, we have, for our project, we have our own script to uh, bundle it into the Java server. So just in bash, it'll pull down the uh, Java code, the view code, build the view application, put it into the Java code, make a new commit, make a new tag, and then Jenkins will take it from there. That's just how it was when I walked into this project. So it's probably not the best. And if it were up to me, I'd move things more into Docker. The application does get hosted in Docker in the end. So, Yeah, we're the same. We're actually in the middle of a large refresh because we've got mobile apps and Java back and the view stuff, the configuration tool, number of things that we're all moving over into Docker. And we also use Jenkins. Um, our DevOps guy has been using it for years and he talks about the, just the huge number of plugins in the community around Jenkins. So we use that. We'll deploy Docker images to something called Artifactory. And then um, we'll build that to Artifactory and then deploy from Artifactory to, you know, the appropriate environment using, you know, different configuration parameters within a Jenkins job. Prior to us switching to GitHub, we were on GitLabs. We used the GitLab CI/CD. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say I much prefer that interface to something like Jenkins. Yes, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nice. Yeah, and I've used the GitLab Community Edition, which is one that you deploy to your own server as well as the GitLab proper. And they're both really nice and they both work fairly well. In the community edition, though, you do have to set up your own task runners for your CI CD. Oh, oh, like a Webpack or Grunt or Gulp type thing? No. The actual they, server to do the building? Yeah, to run the builds. Oh, gotcha. Okay. It's just another process, but you have to set it up and run it yourself. And it's not terribly hard and they have they have a walkthrough for it, but... Yeah. Right. Interesting side note, you know that GitLab is written in Vue, right? Yes. Yep. And Rails. Oh, Chuck's in heaven, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was part of how I convinced my uh, boss at my previous job to trust that Vue is going to work. I could point at GitLab and say, here's a big company. They're using it. We can yep. use it too. Yeah. GitHub is also written in Rails. So, yeah. Your Git infrastructure is written in my web technology of choice. So. <laughs> What about kind of your, your office setup, like where you sit and work? So your chair, your desk, how many monitors do you have? So I have probably an old chair. It's about 10 years old that seriously needs to be replaced because it keeps falling down on me. I like to have my chairs up fairly high and my keyboard sort of low in relation to me. So I've got this old wooden, classic old wooden desk that somebody gave to me because they didn't want it. I've had it for, I don't know, 20 years, I think. And it works. It's got a pretty good surface area. But in terms of my computer, you know, I've got my laptop open. I can see that screen. And then I've got two pretty good-sized monitors that are connected in to the laptop. So I basically got two and a half, three screens, however you want to look at it. Pretty high resolution. And then I'll have my separate Mac keyboard that's plugged in so I can use that. It's a little more versatile and easy to use for me. And then I've got the exact same thing in my office that I have 
at work where the days that I go in, I can just go in and plug in and I'm up and running and, and good to go. At home, I also have like my personal iMac with its own separate screen. So I run my own email and other stuff on there. So I try to keep two things a little separate, you know, just to look at when I need. So I've got basically five screens looking at me right now. But yeah, and then I've got, you know, its own Mac keyboard. And I've got, <laughs> I have two mice here, one for each computer. So sometimes I'll type one thing, something on one computer. I meant to type on the other and people are, huh, what do you mean? Oh, sorry. <laughs> nice. But, and then I've got, of course, always got good computer speakers so I can turn up music nice and loud when I want to. How about you, Devlin? Oh, in my office, uh, I used two extra big monitors, like 32 inches. Oh, and, wow. Um, I yeah. want those. I know. That's what I was just thinking. Say that again. How big? It's probably 32. It's big. Oh yeah. yeah, you can definitely uh, stuff in one monitor, two IDEs, like two Visual Studio Code. The other one is like also, yeah, uh, two browsers. You can definitely be uh, really productive in, in those, you know, big, uh, big ass screens. <laughs> but in, uh, in, in, uh, in my home here, it's like just one ex- external monitor so usually i would stay uh, longer in the office than to you know come <laughs> back home here yeah, so that to be you know more productive there so what about your you guys uh, uh what's the how big is your you know the, the screen of your monitor usually? for my setup i don't have an office or external monitors i generally work on so it's just my laptop which is a 14 inch when i do hook up i think it's a 24 inch monitor that i go to yeah, that 32-inch. <laughs> it's just making yeah, it yeah. It's big. <laughs> is it like 4K? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, <laughs> it's 4K. <laughs> you can get a lot on that screen. It's so big that Devlin has a perpetual tan. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, literally covering my, my whole peripheral vision. It's like from, from left to right, it's like 180 degrees. It's covering the entire... Oh, wow. Are they curved? Not really, but... Uh, yeah, somehow yeah, I managed to like move them, like angle them in a way that it's not really flat in your I mean, in front of you, you would also curve a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's how Devlin does VR. <laughs> <laughs> so for my setup, I have, I bought this chair, what, 10 years ago or something? It's an Aeron um, Herman Miller chair. And it works great. It adjusts every way I need it to. And you know, I've, I've never really been uncomfortable in it. I did spring the extra $100 for the headrest. And so that's nice too, because I can just lay my head on it if I want to, you know, still see my screen. And I've got, I think it was like 15 or $20 at Walmart. And I've had it for probably just as long. It's just a small ottoman. And so I put my feet up and then, you know, just sit back in my chair my chair reclines pretty well, so I, I, I can pretty much lay back in it and work. Just don't fall asleep, right? That's right. <laughs> um, I have slept in this chair before. Not overnight, but, you know, for half hour, an hour, just to take a break. I have four monitors, but I have three computers that I hook up to them. So I have the Windows machine that I told you all about. And then I have the MacBook Pro. And then I have an old cheese grater Mac that I'd like to also upgrade and just see if I can run things off of that. I found a life hacker how to upgrade, you know, so you can run the latest Mac OS on that. If I can make those two work, if I could, or if I could get that upgrade and make, make that work, then I'd pretty much be set on what I want. And I wouldn't even need the laptop unless I'm traveling or something. Yeah, my desks are autonomous standing desks. So autonomous is the brand. That doesn't mean that there's anything special about them. They're, they're kind of on the lower end of the standing desks, but they are motorized. So each desk has four presets on it. I have two of them. So I generally stand at one and sit at the other. So the one I'm at right now is the one I sit at, but I can stand it up. So if I'm doing a video call all and I want to be standing for it, then I'll just stand this one up. But otherwise, I'll go put my laptop on the other desk and I have an external monitor on that one that it just, you know, I just plug it into and then it. You know, I just raise it up where I want. And there's a program. It's uh, keyboardandmousesharing.com, I think is what the website is where I got it. But it's a program called ShareMouse. And so um, if I have all these machines on, I can use the same keyboard and mouse and I can just move it 
off right end of the screen on my MacBook Pro. Oh. And it'll take over the Windows machine and work on nice. that. I have a book to that. I got to look at that. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I kind of dig that setup. And then I've got the mixer hooked into a, an external audio card on my laptop. And so that's how I'm talking to you on this mic because the mic is an XLR mic. It doesn't work as a USB mic. So I have to hook it up to the mixer and then have the mixer pipe through to you guys so or pipe through the computer. So that's kind of the setup I have. They're all on monitor arms, so they're all raised about, what, nine inches off the desk or something. And so it's, it's kind of a nice setup for me. And yeah, I've got, I've got four of these monitors. I think two of them are the same brand and the other two are not. So I tend so to get you, secondhand monitors. So when you say you have a motorized desk, does that mean you can take it out for a drive or you, it walks around and you <laughs> follow it? Or is that just motorized in terms of lifting and lowering? Yeah, it's motorized just in terms of lifting. So uh, okay. I've got my video on. You all can see it, but yeah. So yeah, I just oh, okay. it, it just raises. I hope there's a chair that can, you know, massage your back. Like <laughs> <laughs> so i have a seat for the standing desk i think i got it on amazon but it's just kind of contoured so that you know you can put your rear end on it and then it just has one post and so you just kind of lean back on it and so with your two legs you're kind of a tripod and so sometimes if i'm working standing up and i don't really feel like sitting down yet i'll actually just grab that and kind of lean on it and sit back and work I have a thick uh, mat as well. That's kind of the kind that you see at Walmart or something where the greeter, greeters are standing. Yeah, so it sort of cushions you and you're not yeah. standing on such a hard floor. Yeah, it makes it a little easier to stand for longer. Sure. Have you ever seen the, the walking desks that have like the little treadmill that you can walk on real slowly <laughs> throughout the day? I've been tempted to actually either buy one or get a secondhand regular treadmill. Because, I mean... If you take the posts off, you just have a wire that goes and sit, you know, sits up, the, sets the control on your desk. And so I've thought about pulling something like that apart and then just having the control unit see how small I can make that, you know, so I'd open that up as well. Move yeah, all the circuit boards and buttons around and see if I can make something reasonably small so I can just control it that way. Yeah, the, the common use case, I think, for a lot of people is, you know, maybe a little bit of exercise or they don't like sitting. But I had an old friend of mine that I worked with together at Lindsay's company who had restless leg syndrome, RLS. And, yeah. you know, he would take meds for it, but still uh, having the walking desk was made it much easier for him to get through the day because his legs are moving and he's not having to think about them, you know, twitching and, and moving them moving all the time on their own. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. They aren't cheap though. I've looked at them and they all cost, I think the cheapest one I've seen is still like $800. So Oh, yeah, I believe it. I mean, the desk and everything all together? No, just the treadmill. Oh, just the like treadmill. That desk, yeah. They oh, okay. might be cheaper now. I haven't looked for a few years, but... I think, do they come together? Can't you get them together, too? Probably, but they do sell the treadmills as just a unit that you slide under your desk between the legs, so... Hmm, okay. Oh, yeah, you can get up to 1400 bucks or 3000 uh, Yeah. One thing that I had at my last job, I had a standing desk there, and I just stood all day. I had a mat like you have, but it had some contouring in it. So it had like a bump in the middle and it rose up in the back so that you, instead of just standing on the same flat surface, you could kind of mm. have different textures under your feet at the same time to stretch out your muscles. Yeah. So you could like walk on rocks or walk on sand or walk on water maybe? or, or well, rock, rock, Walk on something cushiony and walk on something slightly bumpy and cushiony. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, okay. Yeah. I just found an under the desk treadmill for 290 bucks. So on Amazon, I figured it was just a matter of time before they became commoditized, but yeah. And I think so, you just control them from your phone or something. Oh, the speed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I could do that. I'd be focusing so much on walking that I'd have a hard time thinking about what I was doing. Yeah. Coding. I mean, for me, it would probably be good maybe just to work my legs because a lot of times I'll go work out at, you know, six in the morning doing CrossFit and, I'll come out, especially if we've done stuff like lunges or squats or a lot of leg stuff, and then I'll sit and I'll go to stand up. And, oh, yeah, because I'm, you know, because I've worked everything out and got tired. And then I sit for a while and everything just sort of tightens up. So, yeah, 
that might be useful for me. Probably it works when, when you're uh, reading something rather than coding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or listening. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. And they've also, talking about the standing desks, they've got like desk converters. So you just, if you already have a desk, you basically get like a spring-loaded air riser, right? And so you just, when you're ready to stand up, you just grab it and pull it upward and it just, you know, slides up. And then when you're ready to sit down again, it just sits down and it's just a stand that sits on a regular desk. So I've seen people do that as well. I've also seen people just stack boxes up. (laughs) (laughs) So... So in terms of mouses or Mises, uh, what do you guys like to use? I'm, having been on the Mac, I'm, I'm just so used to and comfortable with the magic mouse and being able to slide and do all kinds of stuff. That's what I'm used to. You guys uh, have anything fancy that you like to use? Yeah, magic mouse too, right? Mm-hmm. Mac, yeah. Basically, that's it when you're a Mac user. I didn't like the magic mouse. I can't remember why, but I didn't. I just get the traditional two-button mouse. I, I go about as cheap as you can get. Well, actually, it's not ergonomic, the magic mouse. Yeah. Okay. That's it. It has this when you tap, the, you know, double tap or something, or yeah, basically you can do the, the zoom in, zoom out here. I don't know. Yeah, um, swipe. yeah you can, it can detect your three fingers. Basically, that's it. That's why it's magic. But other than that, you know, it is small. If you have bigger hands... I don't think it's you know uh, gonna be uh, nice for for your hand uh, you know coding or using it for for long hours. Yep, it's magic. <laughs> I typically just use the trackpad on my computer. At work, I have some very basic Dell mouse that I just plug into my computer. And if I do need one for my for at home, I have a Microsoft mouse that's Bluetooth, fits into my bag, so it's nice. It just works. I don't know if it's a relevant question. Do you do you code when you're on a plane or something? Do you do you open up your your lap, your MacBook or laptop whenever you're traveling? And you know, yeah, I don't travel so much anymore like I used to. But yeah, I've I've done coding before. Sort of hard to with the amount of space you don't have on a plane. Sort of cramped sometimes, but a lot of times I think, yeah, I'll get all this done when I get on the plane. Then I get on the plane and conk out or. <laughs> <laughs> or, or something like that. But yeah, it's it's certainly doable. I've done it before. I well. tend to sleep on planes. For some reason, you, you, you feel uh, sleeping whenever you're you know, on a plane. I don't yeah. know, maybe air pressure? It's the lower amount of oxygen with all the people in the mm, yeah. in Yeah, the that makes cabins. sense. Well, actually, I used to do a lot of two-leg trips when I traveled. My base was you know here in Portland, and so I'd have to go through a hub somewhere to get to where I was going. And what I found was that Almost any flight, I could sleep the first leg, but not the second. And so <laughs> even if I had like, you know, an hour and a half or so to Salt Lake, and then I had another three or four hours, if I was going to the East Coast, I could always sleep on that first leg, but never the second. Mm, that first yeah. nap woke me up. I've coded on the plane, but yeah, the the 15-inch laptop is just too, is a little bit too big uh-huh. to fit on a tray table. Yeah. If you're in uh, economy or coach or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. If you're in uh, Comfort Plus... On Delta, which is just extra legroom, it's doable. It's still a little bit tight. I've only flown first class once or twice, and there you have plenty of room. Oh yeah, <laughs> but triple the the price, or sometimes quadruple. <laughs> yeah, I think one time I was able to upgrade for like a hundred bucks or something, so I did it. Wow, mm-hmm. nice. But it was a fluke thing on a you know short flight. So yeah, the one time I had like the really nice first class with like reclining seats, you know, separate like captain's chairs type thing was Salt Lake City to Portland. It was a really short flight and I slept the whole time. So I really didn't yeah. get to take too much advantage of it. Anything else in our setups we should talk about? I mean, does everybody work from home except for Lindsay? Lindsay, do you work from home? I do not, know. Yeah, I didn't think you did. I get to work at the ninth floor of a nice big building with a great view. There you go. Oh yeah, you look over Forest Park, don't you? I do. Yeah. So I'm just in a room in my house working from home. And for the most part, if I shut the door, the kids will leave me alone. So that kind of works for me. Yeah, like today when all the kids are at school and my wife works at, at that school and I'm alone and by myself and it's, it's pretty nice. When the kids are home over the summer, it's a little more of a challenge Yeah. Uh, at times. My problem is I'm so, from an environment standpoint, I like it warm. You know, I always say that I'm a wimp when it comes to cold. 
And so, you know, here in my house, I have my own little standalone heater, you know, and then I also have a standalone fan. So I can make as warm as I want to with in my own little office here or as cool, you know, in the summer. But if I go into my office, I have to dress warm just to go into my office because, you know, like most offices, the air conditioning tends to be up a little more and it's definitely colder. Fortunately, we're in our own, we all have our own little offices. We're not in like a bullpen or open type environment. So it's a little more easy to control temperature there. But even with that, it's it's usually cooler and I have a harder time concentrating where I'm home and I can control my environment the way I want to. Yeah, it's funny because I used to be able to walk outside in like 40 degree weather without a coat and I, it wouldn't bother me. And then I lost 40 pounds and now I just, I can't think <laughs> And so what's funny is, is I was always the one that was turning the air conditioning up at home. And now my wife is the one doing that. So yeah, I think I've mentioned this before. The general rule with married people, at least, or, you know, people live together is you generally tend to, to pair up with somebody who's the opposite from you in terms of heat and cool preferences. So, you know, from my wife and I, it's the constant battle. How cold do we keep the bedroom at night? Uh, you know, what's the air conditioning set at during the day? What's the heat set at during the winter? It's, yeah, we're not even close to each other's preferences. So we've sort of worked out a compromise over 23 years, but <laughs> an ongoing thing. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. All right, let's go ahead and do some picks. Devlin, why don't you start us off with picks? Okay. Hmm. Limiting first. <laughs> Devlin okay. didn't have a pick. <laughs> I'll make Steve go first. Okay, so I saw this post this morning. And it's just sort of funny. It sort of ties into what we were talking about regarding mice. I saw this on Hacker News. It's a little blog post about this guy who's an electrician in England, and he had a shop or his tool shed. And at night he would leave and there would be stuff around the, all over the place. And he'd come back in the morning and everything was a lot neater. All these things had been picked up and put in this nice little bin. And he knew nobody else had been out there as far as he knew. So he put up a camera in your shop at night and they found this little mouse coming in and picking up all the little pieces off his table and putting them in this nice bin. And part of, I think it was just to give him a little insulation someplace warm. But uh, just really a funny little video and post on uh, a website called Laughing Squid. I'll put the, uh, the link in the show notes. But just just really funny little post. Nice. Lindsay, do you have some picks for us? I do. My pick today is a game called Danger Crew. Have any of you heard of it? Have not. Okay. So Danger Crew is, uh, the way they describe it, is a classic single-player RPG set in the world of programming and hackers. It was created by some developers. If I remember the story right, they, they were going out to get coffee or something. They're like, you know, we could make a video game about what we do. Oh, I heard about this. This is sounding familiar. Yes. Yeah, so, so they did. The game is built with React. And so it's just HTML, CSS, JavaScript. I don't believe they used Canvas or anything. Well, they, they use Canvas on particular elements, but not for the overall experience. You're starting out as a lead engineer at a company. You have to go in and... I haven't gone in too far and I don't want to spoil anything anyway, but you have to go in and fix the company from the inside, solve some of the problems they have. The programming aspect of it is the combat is by using laptops. You're trying to hack your opponent and reduce their laptop's battery life to zero. <laughs> so so just kind of playing with the parts of an RPG, but turning it into a programming thing. So one of the attacks is like a for each loop where you can <laughs> use curl to uh, steal people's items. It's kind of fun. That sounds truly geeky. It really is. 
Nice. Yeah, that's called Danger Crew. Danger. And that's it's available on Steam for Windows, Mac, and Linux. Okay, so now I have my, I remember now my, my picks. Because uh, this afternoon I was looking at my phone and uh, I had this uh, uh, auto uh, changing of, of my wallpaper on my phone and I saw this uh, rhinoceros, rhino. I was like wondering how many species of rhino we have here on Earth. And I found and then after Googling, there are like five species of rhino. Uh, the largest one and in Africa, there are actually there are two in Africa. The largest one is the white rhino. And it's also known as like a square lip. And yeah, followed by this black rhino, also known as hook lip. And that's it. So yeah, basically you can only find a rhino in, in Africa and in Asia. In Asia, there are like three. One in, uh, in India, in uh, greater one horned rhino. There's another one in Sumatran or in Southeast Asia, also known as Sumatran rhino. And it's uh, covered uh, in hair. It's really interesting, covered in hair. And last one is the, also the, uh, in Asia, it's the Javan rhino. And you will notice in, in, uh, in Asia, these uh, this Asian rhinos here, like, they're, they're really small. They're really small. <laughs> Unlike the, the two rhinos in Af- that you can find in Africa, which is really huge. Yeah, generally when you think of rhinos, you think they're of pretty big animals. Mm-hmm. Which one's the one that has the hair all over it? Which is Sumatran rhino. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's still like, it still has this uh, lovely DNA from the woolly mammoth. <laughs> we got hair <laughs> covered in hair. So, yeah, it's really interesting. But you know, the sad thing is uh, they're, they're all in t- endangered species now. So Yeah, they're definitely beautiful animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Indeed. cool stuff. I say that facetiously. But. All right, I've got some picks. Uh, this is the last week I'm going to be picking Christmas movies. I definitely have to pick the, I think I picked them on JavaScript Jabber already, but the the clay animation Christmas movies, the stop motion movies like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Santa Claus is Coming to Town or The Little Drummer Boy, great movies. And, yeah. and they're, they're classic, classic movies. Yeah, my son was just watching the Rudolph ones the other day. Yeah, terrific movies. My favorite Christmas movie is A Christmas Story. And yeah, I know it's kind of a cliche pick, but uh, it's such a classic movie. I love all the 1940s cars and yeah, just <laughs> I'm laughing. Just out, kid. Yep. So funny. Um, What's the one dad's the- name? Darren. Uh, I forget his name. He was so good. I want a leg lamp, really. I think you can actually, you can still buy a leg lamp. Yeah. The funny thing about that movie in terms of how it got the popularity is that it really wasn't that popular when it first came out, but it wasn't until, was it, I think it's TNT that plays it over and over, you know, like 24 hours of a yeah. Christmas story every year. It wasn't until it started getting all that repeated airplay that it really became popular. I heard a great interview with Peter Billingsley. I think it was on the Dan Patrick show last Christmas. And he talked about a number of things about the movie behind the scenes stuff. And it was a, uh, Really a great interview. Yeah. See if I can find the link for that. Darren McGavin, that's what I'm thinking. If he was so good as the dad. Yeah. Is Peter Billingsley still acting? I think he's done some stuff, but not like very prolific. I can't remember what he was doing something fairly recently. I can't remember exactly what it was. I have to look, but yeah, I think he's still doing something. Yeah. Anyway, classic movie. Another one that's worth watching is the what's it called? The Ultimate Gift, I think is what it's called. Yeah, this is it. It's not an older <laughs> movie. It's but, not a Hallmark, is it? Uh, is it a Hallmark? It's an indie film. Because Hallmark movies are forbidden. <laughs> it kind of feels like one a little bit. So, I, yeah. But it's a terrific movie. It's it's slightly cheesy, but for the most part, it's it's a really, really good movie. So, I don't see Hallmark anywhere on the cover. Okay, so. good, good. So now, Chuck, you know that Lethal Weapon is considered a Christmas movie, right? I've never seen it, so... What? Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Joe Pesci? Yeah, well, it starts out with Jingle Bell Rock, and it takes place at Christmas time, so there's, you'll see debates sometimes about whether Lethal Weapon is really a Christmas movie. It's not, but uh, it's just sort of an ongoing joke more than anything else. Now, Chuck, yeah. since you're in the Christmas movies, did you ever see The Nativity Story? The Nativity Story. Yeah, it's about Mary and Joseph. And sort of a, a movie about the whole 
you know, when she gets pregnant, it's, it's a, you know, live action movie. I heard it was really good. I've never actually seen it. Was it like a full feature movie? Yeah. Uh-huh. I think I did see that, but if I did, I only saw it once. Yeah, it's supposed to be good. I need to sit down and see that one sometime. I've always wanted to see it. I'm not sure if I've seen this one or not. So anyway, so yeah, some of my favorites there. Anyway, so yeah, I'll be back to normal picks next week. So hopefully folks get some ideas about what they can do to improve their setups. Sounds like a few folks installed some plugins or checked out some other things that will help them out. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you all for being here and we will be back next week. In the meantime, Max out. Adios. See ya. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.